It's been a few weeks since we've been in the Gospel of Mark. I've had a few uh, speakers from the outside here. It's good to hear from them. Excited to be back in the Gospel of Mark here. Pastor Wood will be preaching. We're going to read, starting in verse 30 to the end of the chapter here. God's Word says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. That's good. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So they didn't get much rest. (laughs) When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it, were made well. This is God's word. Well, 
Mark chapter 6, we'll continue here in Mark 6, so if you'll have your Bible open there and you have a place to follow along in your handout, your bulletin there, and the title of the message is Essentials for Discipleship, and I, I phrased it that way on purpose because I, I think there are some things here that we, we these are must-haves, this, this has to happen, we really need these things to be happening in our lives, these are essentials for us as we grow in following Christ, as we're becoming more and more like Him as disciples. And I have to be frank with you, as I study this passage over the last several weeks, because it has been a couple of weeks since I've had a chance to preach, all right, um, I really began to be convicted about this. This is convicting to me. You see, I have a problem with what I call hmm, stinking thinking. You've heard me say that before, stinking thinking. That's just me. I, let me describe that a little bit. Stinking thinking is prideful. It's, hey, look what I did. You know, look what I accomplished. Look, what, look, look at that. You know, and I think even the disciples, as they were returning, they were so excited about what, what God had done for them. They're, look what we did. You know, and there's a little bit of pride there. Wow, that's stinking thinking. And I can get defensive as well. I also at times have this woe is me mentality. I'm worrying about things, the building, the budget, so-and-so, this problem, that issue. Where am I going to get help? And it's stinking thinking. Um, I can get fearful when the storms of life come, the issues, the conflicts. I'm overwhelmed. America, what's going to happen here in, in our United States? I'm worried. I'm fearful. Jesus knows our nature. Uh, his disciples were just like us in so many ways. And our nature is to get stuck in what I phrase stinking thinking. It's not helpful. It's, it's, it's limiting. It's destructive. And here in Mark chapter 6, we've come to three events that, uh, that Jesus, I believe, used to help his followers fix this problem of stinking thinking. They had to change their mindset. There, there had to be something really change in how they looked at life and how they were going to be able to proceed and be useful. Before we can be useful in God's kingdom, we need to fix this problem of stinking thinking, where we're proudful, we're, we're uptight and stressed out, we're fearful. God help us with that. So here are some essentials that are, as followers, these changes, as followers of Jesus Christ, these changes by God's grace must be observed as we observe these things about Jesus. We need this. So the first essential is this, learning to rest. And in this rest, we're finding perspective. We see things that we didn't see before. Rest that leads us to perspective. We need rest that provides perspective, a new mental outlook. Why? Well, I think of the context here because of the things that had already happened. They had been out busy doing the work of God, and they were, they were on a mountaintop of, of thrill of, look what all these things we were able to do for you, Jesus. But I also believe it was to prepare them for what was yet to happen. And boy, were there some things yet to happen. Uh, yes, they'd go through some exciting times, but 
But very soon to follow, Jesus was going to Jerusalem and he was going to be crucified and they were going to go through the trial of their life because of things that were happening yet. Jesus rested. He took time to rest. This is a pattern of his life. And he said here in this passage, come away and come away from the demands. Come away from the distractions. Come away to a quiet place, a place that you can think. Your mind can process and gain perspective. And you will find rest. You will be refreshed. Now, what's that about? Well, I believe this perspective that comes from rest is the place where we can get quiet enough to think again. To think clearly. There, there are times when I'm processing through problems and I can't get, and if I can just sleep a little bit in a good way, I wake up and there's the answer. Has that ever happened to you? That happens to me all the time. I gain perspective through rest. Not being lazy, not being uh, slothful, but allowing God to use his gift of rest to help me to be able to think clearly. I believe this is the point in Genesis 2, verse 2, where on the seventh day, God rested, reflecting on this wonderful thing that he had completed for us in the six days, literal days of creation. And when he made the woman, he said, this is very good after he made the man, which was just okay. All right. But I'm, I'm, you get it. God did a very good thing, and he was able to stop and look at that, reflecting. In Exodus 20, we're commanded to remember the Sabbath. Literally, remember the day of rest, of reflection. Jesus said, come unto me, in Matthew 11, come unto me, and I will give you rest. If you're weary, if you're frustrated, if you're uptight, Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, I want to stop here for a minute and just work a little bit of a contrast because I see a contrast here in the kind of rest that they were finding and the kind of rest that, that Jesus calls us to and, and the kind of rest that typically we have, excuse me, with that. Uh, a contrast between good rest and bad rest. Now, where am I going with that? What's the difference? Well, bad rest is like this. You're crazy busy, you're going, you're going, you're going, and you're exhausted. Think a day at Adventureland or Great America. And you drive there, you, you do all these rides, you're dizzy, your stomach is upset, uh, you've eaten all this bad stuff, you have to drive all the way back, and then you have to get up early the next morning and go to work. You need a vacation from your vacation. You're exhausted, right? That's not good rest. Or... Maybe there's a day when you're doing nothing and you're just vegging and we do what we call binge watching. You're watching show after show after show after show of the same series and before you know it, the whole day's gone and you've got what we call TV head. You're just, you're just in a blob. You can't think anymore. You're out of it. That's not good rest. Or there's good rest that leaves you refreshed and your mind is alert and you're prompted by God in the process and you sense the presence of God in this. 
Friday, um, my day off, we do family things that day. And my wife wanted to go to the mall. That's something that we used to do a lot. I mean, you know what a mall is? Yeah. Well, we went to the mall. And I don't usually do well at the mall. I'm just, I, I'm just, you know, and, I, and it's just not a good experience. Uh, my wife does great. And she is on task. And, she's get, and she is able to find the best deals. And she's, she's all over the place. And my wife is short. And the, the displays are tall. And so I spend most of my time... Where'd she go? And I get her, and she's not answering her phone. And so then I spend, it's, it's like hide and seek in the mall. So it's not restful for me at all. But this time she, she did something that was a blessing to me. She said, David, why don't you go to Barnes and Noble and you just wait there and, and read a book or something. And this is something often when we would go to the mall a lot, I, w- I would do. She would say, just go to Barnes & Noble, read, and I'll catch up with you there. So she started at Penny's and was working her way to Barnes & Noble. And so I go to Barnes & Noble, and what my routine is when that happens, and I, I was so excited when she said that, I get to go to Barnes & Noble, and she's doing all the shopping. And so what I normally like to do in that setting is I go find some of the religious books that are there. They've got four or five stacks of religious books and various perspectives. Most of them I don't agree with, but it's just an opportunity to pick up a book. And, and, and my goal is to speed read through the book, get the idea what the book is, understand their point before she returns. And, and just flying through this thing, and, I, and, and, I, and that's a whole lot, that's stimulating to me. So I was sitting there reading through this book of this guy that was going through some issues that are in America right now, and, and I was going through this stuff, and then I get this call, and where are you? I'm not done yet. <laughs> but you know what? We went out of that mall, and my mind was refreshed. I had had a few minutes just to rest and to think and to read and to go Oh, I get it. That was good rest. Thank you. Thank you. Here's the point. When we find good rest, we find God's perspective. Do you know how to find that on a daily basis? Where you stop, you slow the train, (laughs) you're there with God and you're able to get God's perspective. We call it a quiet time, just a few minutes. It's a good way to start your day or to stop in the middle of your day for two or three minutes or ten minutes and just think. And it's amazing how perspective comes around during those few moments, and then you have the ability to be productive going forward. I think there's great value to stop before you move. Learning to rest well on a weekly basis. Why do we gather on a Sunday? Wouldn't it be easier just to sleep in and do nothing and have a breakfast in bed and, and pull out the newspaper? Remember what those were? All right. or just, just having your own day. But yet we gather in His name, and in this we are able to enter into His rest. We're able to remember 
the big story that God has in the Bible and how it all revolves around this Messiah that was promised, who came, who died on the cross, who rose again. And because of that, all history is changed. And because Jesus is alive, we have hope and we have understanding of eternity. And we know his love that's given to us so that we could have everlasting life, be his children in his family forever. We're able to be reminded of this perspective as we gather together. And then we go from here. How many times have you walked out of church on a Sunday? And hopefully this is regular, but you walk out of church on Sunday, you came in going, man, I don't know if I even want to be here. And you walk out and there's a spring in your step. And it was so good to be in the house of the Lord. What happened? You were refreshed with God's mindset. That's essential. You have that cell phone in your hand. That can either be a very bad influence on your rest, leave you very frustrated, agitated, uptight, worried, guilty, or that cell phone can be used in a way that is drawing you to the mind of Christ, to think on things that are true, honest, just, and pure, and lovely, and of a good report. You, you, can, you can use that as a tool that can help you rest. Now, the question is, how many of us, is that really happening? Or is it a massive waste of time and it's bad rest? So let me draw you to understanding why Jesus told his disciples, come apart and rest a while. They needed it. It was essential. And it's essential for you and me as well. There's a second essential here revealed in this next story, starting in verse 34. We need faith that sees God's provision. We need faith in Christ's provision. You see there in verse 34, <clears throat> it was growing late and they were in a desolate place. And, and by the way, Jesus saw the crowd and he had compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And they needed somebody to take care of them. And so what does he, what does he do? He says, give them something to eat. Here's a crowd of at the minimum, 5,000. Probably that was just counting the men. So it could have been up to 15, 20,000 people that were here gathered to hear Jesus and watch Jesus work these miracles. And, and he's, he's there to care for them. And he says, I'm going to have compassion on you. And I'm going to care for you. And I'm going to provide for you. God does that. Here's the point. God provides when there's a need. The feeding of the 5,000. This is just astounding. And by the way, you'll want to take time to examine all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, with this account. It's the, it's the one miracle that is repeated in all four of the Gospels. And you'll be amazed at how it's harmonized, how it fits together. Four different perspectives on the same story and how it, it correlates so well. All four Gospels recount the feeding of the 5,000. It's just amazing. After John the Baptist's death, around the time of the third Passover during Christ's ministry, Jesus sets out to take his disciples away from the crowd, but yet the crowd just keeps on growing and they keep on following. So Jesus here is ministering to them before he's withdrawing further up the mountain toward the evening. And he's suggesting to, to them, we need to do something. Well, the disciples are saying, send them home. They can, let them fend for themselves. But there's no food in the area. 
And Jesus saw the need and he said, no, they need to eat. Well, how are we going to do this? Andrew, you from, you're from the area. Philip, you're from the area. Do you know anybody? Well, well, there's this little boy has five loaves and two fish. Let's feed him. And the amazing thing is, this God who in a voice, in a moment, in a word, created, this God who gave manna from heaven, this God who all along says, I'll take care of you, <clears throat> took care of the crowd. And that fish and those loaves, they multiplied so that all ate. Look at verse 40. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and by fifties, and they, take the, they took the five loaves and the two fish, and he looked up to heaven, he said, a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and he divided the, divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and we're satisfied. Now that's a good meal. That's amazing. Have you ever had a need and seen God provide? That's good. Just had a conversation with a pastor this week who had come to the end of his rope. There was no more open door. The ministry was done. They didn't have provision. They didn't have the workers. <clears throat> And they shut down. The next day, God provided and provided and provided again. And that ministry is going forward and it's flourishing. Just this last week, I was in the nursing home talking to a lady who she said to me, you know, every day God provides me shelter. God provides me warmth and clothing. God provides me food. And I'm here on purpose, even though I don't like it. And God's taken care of me. Different perspectives on God's provision. But God is providing for you. And we need to give Him the credit. And along the way, as you see God provide and you watch what God is doing, you know that He's going to take care of you. That's His promise. And in that, we see that Jesus is God. That's what we need to know, the God who provides, Jehovah Jireh. There's a third essential here in this passage. Not only do we need rest to find perspective, and we need faith to understand God's provision, it's essential that we have courage that comes from recognizing God's presence, the presence of the Lord. Courage. Here in verse 45, we see this story that unfolds about the Lord Jesus walking on the water. What's that about? By the way, you'll need to process the differences of the three accounts of this in the, in the Gospels. As you look at this, these accounts in the different Gospels, they look different. Where he's, you wonder, does this really fit or not? I'm here to say it does. You just need to dig deeper. By the way, you may have doubts. If you have doubts about the Bible, dig deeper. Number one, doubt your doubts. You're not the person who has all the answers. But number two, dig deeper into the Word. The deeper you dig, the more you realize it really does fit. 
And here is the perfect example of that as we, see, as we compare the various Gospels as they approach this particular passage. I encourage you to do that. <clears throat> Each writer is emphasizing in their own way the powerful influence that comes when we understand the presence of the Lord. What happens when we know the presence of the Lord? Several questions come to my mind as I'm reading through this account. The first question is this. How is it that they were in the boat without the Lord? Why did Jesus direct them to leave without him, knowing that they would face the storm that night? Jesus knew these things, right? Why were, in the, why were they in the boat without the Lord? We read, immediately these things were happening. I mean, this, things were happening fast here. And Mark doesn't really tell us why Jesus abruptly dismisses the disciples and sends them on their way on this boat. Apparently, the crowd was a massive crowd of at least 5,000 men. We know there were more people as well, but a huge crowd was getting out of control because of the excitement. They'd just seen God work this miracle of all this food that was provided <clears throat> with 12 baskets full left over to take care of the disciples later. Excitement. It's like the crowd rushing onto the field after Tennessee puts down Alabama playing football last year. I mean, the crowd just went wild. Well, that's going on here. And I have an idea that the disciples may well have been adding to the problem, egging it on, like they were in the middle of the crowd just cheering away. Look at, look at, look at what Jesus just did. We've got our Messiah. Yes, it's all going to happen now, just like we want. So Jesus dismisses them and the crowd, and then he goes to the solitary place to pray, recognizing the need. He's alone. Verse 46, and after he had taken them leave of them, he went up onto the mountain to pray. <laughs> That's really where they should have been. But they weren't of the mindset to do that. So the disciples are out on the water in the middle of the night. It doesn't seem like a big deal for fishermen to be out on the water in the middle of the night. But, however, there are some circumstances you need to be aware of. At 700 feet below sea level, the location of the Sea of Galilee creates an unusual type of storm that begins with the currents out on the Mediterranean coast. The air is cool over that water, and it rushes toward the desert at a lower altitude, creating ferocious winds like Chinook winds. And as the cool air moves in from the Mediterranean and rushes toward the valleys, toward the Sea of Galilee, and then rushes downward and hits the hot air rising, what was a perfectly calm, placid lake within minutes becomes a crazy, wild storm capable of sinking the fishing boat. And these fishermen knew what was happening. They knew the, the water well. They knew exactly what was, they knew about these storms. And here it was in the middle of the night. And it was a freakish wild storm that was blowing this boat way out of, out of the area. And it was going down. And they were scared. Literally, the word that's used here is they were tormented. Have you ever been that scared? They were tormented. So here's a question. How is it that Jesus could see them? 
we read that he was on the shore. He was back coming down from the mountain in his prayer time. In the middle of the night, it's the fourth watch, and he sees them, and it says that they're out in the water, and that there's a storm going on, and how is it that Jesus could see them in the middle of the night with no lights, and they're way out there in the water? God can do that. He's God. That's the point. And we read in the Scriptures, Thou, God, seest me. There's great comfort. There's great courage that comes from knowing the presence of God. Thou, God, seest me. And the disciples, even though they're struggling, they're tormented, they're not making any progress all night long, they can't keep going on like this, they can't take it anymore. Excuse me. Have you ever said that? I just can't take it anymore. We read in verse 49, Jesus walks by on the sea. Look at that. He came to them walking on the sea. Now, why is that so significant? Well, a good rule of thumb for your Bible study is to interpret Scripture using Scripture. So does a Scripture come to mind that might be helpful in understanding why that right there is so significant, that Jesus is walking on the sea. Well, if you go back to Job chapter 9, we read there that it is God who walks on the waves, or literally treads the waves. The only one who has this ability is God. And this is a theophany. It's a demonstration of God's presence. A visible manifestation of the invisible God. God is very real. In fact, Jesus says that right here. A visible manifestation. It's, it's like, like Moses seeing the burning bush. But here, God speaks to them and says, I'm here. Look at verse 50. Take heart. And then the next phrase, I am. It is I. You notice I have scribbled there just below that a little word, E-I-M-I. That's in that language, that's their verb to be, but it's first person singular, present, I am. Now, if you recall in the Old Testament, when Moses said, who are you? God says, I am. That's describing who he is. That word means he is. (laughs) We say the word Jehovah in their language, uh, Yahweh, or something similar to that. We don't really know the pronunciation because it was so sacred to them. Yet we know God described himself as this, I am. So Jesus uses one word as he's walking on the water, and they know that the only one who can walk on the water is God, and Jesus says, I am. Do not be afraid. Because God is with us, do not be afraid. Caleb's going off to college. Remember, I am is with you. And Garrett, too. Do we think we should let them go? Yes, they got to go. But remember, God is with you, no matter what you're into. Papua New Guinea, I am. God is with you. You're in the delivery room. (laughs) I am. God is with you. You're in the hospital. 
facing cancer, remember, I am is with you. Do not be afraid. I love this. Take courage from the presence of God. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Take courage. We need this. It's essential. Another question. Why did they harden their hearts? We read that, 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 that they hardened their hearts. Why did they harden their hearts? Verse 52. They did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. The one who had multiplied the loaves was God in the flesh providing for their need, the Messiah. That's what he promised to do. He would come to meet our greatest need in giving us the gospel. Why didn't they get it? Well, instead of seeing the presence of God, they were looking for some military liberator, a deliverer of their own making, of their own imagination. Yet we have the Word of God, and we have prayer, and we have the Scriptures that we can open up as we pray, and we can understand that Jesus is speaking to us. He's with us as we open this book, and we read these book, and we, this book, and we know that He's with us. It's not a God of our own imagination. And notice what happens when Jesus stepped into the boat. The winds ceased. He is in control. He's sovereign over even the storms. And the result was, and this is where we want to get, and listen very carefully over the next two or three minutes. The result was, the end of verse 51, they were utterly astounded. That word astounded in that language is spelled this way. If you want to jot it down, E-X-I-S-T-A-N-T-O. Let me say that again, E-X-I-S-T-A-N-T-O. It means to change a place, a change of place. Jesus had changed them when they realized who he was and what he could do. God was with them, and God could calm the storm. We get our English word ecstasy, ecstasy from this word extantanto. Ecstasy. Now, it's not the idea of some drug that makes you feel you all euphoric. It's the idea of having your mind at a totally different place, beyond what normal people think. When you understand who God is, and you understand how impressive God is, and you sense the presence of God with you, and He's speaking to you through this, the, this book, the Bible, your mind is changed. By resting in the Lord, watching how He provides, recognizing His presence, your life is changed. You don't go on living the way you used to. They were utterly astounded. And all this paved the way for the Lord Jesus Christ to be doing the work that He intended to be doing. And the disciples had the opportunity to join Him in that process. I love this. The privilege of joining in the work of the Lord what God is doing around us. And yet it's essential in order to be able to do that work that we rest, that we have faith, and that we exercise courage. We have perspective, we understand His provision, and we recognize His presence. So here's what we need to do. 
Here's what you need to do. You need to develop this perspective that comes through good rest. Good rest. So carve out time for rest. Make your times of rest count. Like Elijah, sleep some, the right amount. For me, it's seven, seven and a half hours. It's essential if I'm going to be able to think clearly. Different people have different amounts, but but not, not being lazy, but you need to sleep the right amount. That's part of good rest. Uh, music, like David. It was an important part of him being able to get into the place where he could actually think truth. Good music helps you think on God's truth. Uh, quiet. Putting aside the distractions. Turn off the devices. Turn off the TV, whatever. And, and take a walk and just be alone with God and think. Times of rest. By the way, I came across an article this morning. I have it. It was just a, a, I can text it to you, that expands on this Bible, Bible emphasis on good rest. It was a great little article, and I wish I could just say, hey, I've got it printed out. Everybody take it. But if you'd like that, just text me, and I can send you that link, and you could be thinking more on this today about how to find yourself in a place where you can find good rest. Just text me that. Even just now, go ahead and do that. There's a quick little article I can send you. But we need perspective that comes through good rest. We need the faith that understands God's provision. So here's what I would urge you about this. Live within your means. It's not presumption. We don't just go spend whatever we want and expect God to pay for it. Live within your means. And that's an exercise of faith when you learn to live within your means. But as you're living with your, within your means, plan to give. Call it tithe. Call it sacrificial giving. Call it grace giving, whatever you want. But it's probably not going to happen unless you plan for it and do it on a regular basis. Plan to give. And this is an act of worship, and it's also an act of faith. <clears throat> and you will grow in your faith as you see God provide as you give. We've been married for 40 years now, coming next weekend. She's put up with me for 40 years. Praise God for that. That's a miracle. But what we've watched over the years is this, from day one, my wife said, we're giving. And she planned for it, and it was right in our budget. I don't know that I would have had that discipline to do that. But what I've watched over 40 years is how every time God provides, God provides And as we exercise the faith, God provides. And it's just astounding to see how God provides. When you trust God first, and you express that by giving, God has a way of providing for you. He can multiply and feed 5,000. He can put food on your table too. God provides. So Just exercise that faith. Watch how God does the same thing for you as he did for these people who were fed with the five loaves and two fishes. He can multiply it. So plan to give. And as we understand the need for the presence of God so that we can have courage, I'm not just saying be be courageous. I'm saying know the presence of God. And out of that comes the courage. So you open your Bible, you have a prayer time, you're crying out to God in prayer, and in the midst of that, you understand God's with me, And God gives you this courage. So obey God's command. Fear not. That means you obey. 
God by saying, okay, I'm not going to fear, but you're focusing on seeing the I am. Through the word of God, through prayer, you're seeing the I am, the presence of the Lord. You do this in your Bible reading, you're, 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 you're learning to meditate, reviewing again and again in your mind when you're not thinking about it, the presence of God, the truth of God, the voice of God, the work of God, and the promise of God, the attributes of God, the the work of God around you. You're looking at God from, you're looking at life from God's point of view. You're understanding God's at work in your life. And you watch the calming influence of His presence with you. God will get in the boat with you. Jesus is there. I'll never leave you, He says. I'll never forsake you. Then you have the privilege of joining in God's work. And the rest of the chapter, verses 53 through verse verse uh, 56, they went into a territory that they were not planning on being, Gennesaret, and the people hear about this, and they all bring their, their, their ones who are needing to be healed, the, 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 pe- the sick people on their beds, or, and, and, they, and they came to, to watch God at work, and the disciples got to be a part of that. The essentials were that they learned to rest, they learned to trust God's provision, they learned to experience the presence of God. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. May we see Christ in all we are working through because your word is in our heart and our mind and we're praying it before you. Help us to see your provision. Help us to slow slow down enough to see that. I'd ask God that you would work in our hearts in ways now that will stick with us and we will be utterly astounded, thinking on a whole new level, about the power of God, even today. We pray this in Jesus' name.